Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. And so today, what we're going to do is something that we call five minutes of faith. And five minutes of faith is just five speakers talking for five minutes about their faith. And so um, we've got five ladies that are going to do that for us today. First up is Kayla Sadler. Um, and then next is, I don't remember, you guys know your order, Summer, and then Joe, and then Karen. Do I have it in the right order? All right. And so Kayla, if you want to come up, give her a hand as she comes up. It is not easy to speak in front of people. And so I am so honored and I'm so, just let's be gracious to these speakers. <laughs> now remember, keep the microphone here. Okay. This is my first time on a microphone, so bear with me. And I talk with my hands a lot, so I might need a reminder to put it back in front of my face. So I just want to start out by saying that this weekend has been, like, so joy-filled. Working from home, a lot of times, like, I don't get a whole lot of social interaction. So anytime something like this comes up, I'm all about it. I always have a lot of fun. Um, And I also just want to say, like, if you don't participate in women's events, please consider doing so. Because I didn't. Like, at first, when I first started coming here, if it wasn't for summer being like, hey, you're going to this. I wouldn't have participated in anything because I'm like, well, I'm kind of socially awkward and not really my crowd at that time. But it's acceptance. Everybody's accepted. Everybody has fun. So please consider coming to any of the events that we have. Um, On that note, back in January, I told the women's ministry team that I really wanted to be pushed out of my comfort zone this year because the only way that we have a chance to grow is to step out in faith and do something that we're not accustomed to. Hence the reason why I'm on the microphone. (laughs) Um, Had you told the younger me that my family and I would have been active in church and I would be up front testifying to all of you how great God is, I would have probably said something utterly offensive and absurd. Sorry, I lost my spot. Oh, you you would have gone your own way, never speaking to me again or giving me a second thought, just a consequence of being part of the walking dead. I thank God for strong prayer warriors I have in my life that prayed to get my family and I in church without ceasing. If you have been in Bible study with us, you know that we have concluded that Kayla's an angry fire troll. How did we get to that conclusion, you might ask? Great great question. So the angry part, well, I was very angry. I was full of rage. You could look at me and just see that I had a problem with the entire world. Anytime I opened my mouth, it was just bitterness that came out. Uh, fire part because I grew up with my family serving on the volunteer fire department and I eventually followed suit and I served on the volunteer fire department for a while too. In troll, I'm short for one. And for two, I used to really like to troll people and sometimes I still do. (laughs) So how did we come? How did I come to this? Because I remember being a little girl, I was very loving I love the Lord. I loved going to church with my grandparents. How did we get to a point where I was so rage-filled? Trying to recall this has really been a process. It's like looking back into someone else's life because I'm not that person anymore, and I thank God for that. 
Doing it his way is so much better than doing it my own way. My, uh, my infliction of childhood trauma eventually became my affliction that I carried, and that became my identity. That's what I lived in. Throughout seasons of my life, I let my hurt mold into rage that I carried. I sought healing in all the wrong places. I sought healing in unhealthy relationships. Even my marriage started out that way, but thankfully we serve a God of redemption. I sought refuge in people that didn't seem so bad. For example, I looked at my grandmother as my savior. Anytime I had an issue, she was there to pick me up. And unexpectedly, when she was called home to be with the Lord, the rage grew. I sought healing in drugs and alcohol. I sought healing in doctors who only seemed to make it worse. I put my healing in the use of an, ex an abusive tongue, using the excuse that carrying it on the way that I did made me feel better. I put my hurt in the hands of the enemy repeatedly without even realizing what I was doing. I was dead people, and dead people don't know what they're doing. Dead people can't change their position. Only God can make the dead live again. A few weeks ago, I heard a statement somewhere. I might have been scrolling on Facebook Reels or just watching TV, and it was, you may or may not be responsible for your afflictions, but you are responsible in making the decision on what you're going to do about it. Are you going to unknowingly put it in the hands of the enemy? Are you going to try to take it yourself and do it yourself? Because you can't. The only one that can heal you is Jesus. Jesus tenderly asked me repeatedly a compassionate question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? Do you want to let go of all this rage and suffering? I can really relate to the man in chapter 5, and I'm going to read you chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was a pool of Bethesda with five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he knew he had been ill for a long time, and he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, said the man, for I have no one to put me in the pool. When the water bubbles up, someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you're well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders it was Jesus who had healed him. I love the Gospel of John. You know, after our Ephesians Bible study, where we went through like verse by verse and really meditated on each thing, I decided that I was going to do that with the Gospel of John. And I've been doing it since we ended our Ephesians study, and I've only made it to chapter 5, because each time I read it, it's like there's something else that's just illuminated. All throughout John, we see people given a choice between Jesus or God's wrath, which is their own self-destruction. When Jesus asked the lame man, do you want to be healed? Well, it isn't a question to scoff at, like, really, Jesus? The man's been lame for 38 years. Of course, he wants to be well. But that question invites us to take a closer look. The Jewish people were very communal, so begging was a profession. So when Jesus asked him, what he is asking is, what are you going to do after I heal you? I can also say that it's safe to think that the man is also lame of spirit as well. So let's take a closer look at what Bethesda was. 
in my research, I had found two different things about Bethesda, one being that it was of the Christian God and one being that it was of a Greek God of healing. So for argument's sake, I'm going to go with that one um, and go with uh, the waters of chaos were there, basically. So if you go back another chapter in John 4, we meet the Samaritan woman who tells us that Jesus is living water. And then you go back another chapter in John, and Jesus tells Nicodemus he's only been born of water, which is chaos, and he needs to be born of spirits. Water is mentioned 722 times in the Bible. The ancient Hebrew people seen water as chaos, disorder, anti-creation. And we see that in Genesis 1 verse 2. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. We have to remember we have an enemy that is real. He targets us in our most vulnerable areas. We also must remember the adversary is not an adversary of God because God doesn't have any adversaries. The enemy is an adversary of creation. He's anti-creation. His main goal is to pull us back into the depths of chaos water and into disorder. Jesus interfered with this healing practice by walking into the waters of chaos the enemy was churning. He sought out the lame man, and he asked him that compassionate question, knowing his affliction had caused him to have an identity crisis. Jesus showed all the people there that he is the only one who has the authority to heal them. Then he tells the man, sin no more. In my opinion, this makes the healing process the man's responsibility. Yes, he is physically healed, but to be spiritually healed, he must choose Jesus every day and not run back to the things that he once knew. In my own life, Jesus walked into my waters of chaos that I allowed the adversary to pull me into. He asked me that same compassionate question, knowing that my afflictions had become my identity. My rage is all I knew. I had been living in that my entire life. He knew that it would be hard for me to accept that I need to change and to even figure out where to begin making that change. He told me that abusive tongue you have, that will be now used to speak life. Jesus taught me... <laughs> Jesus taught me that I, can find, I cannot find provision in others. It's only from him. No weapon formed against me can prosper, even if it's a weapon that I formed against myself. <laughs> he told me that if I want to be a disciple of him, it's time for me now to take up my cross and follow him daily. It is my responsibility to be in the word every single day. The almighty king has commanded me to don the armor of God and take every single thought captive and place them at the feet of Jesus. For me, the imagery that I use for my armor is from my time on the fire department, my turnout gear. I know that I need to stay low under the smoke of the world, under the world's truth. And I know that when the enemy comes by trying to do a drive-by with those fiery darts, only living water can put them out. When people say that God comes in and wrecks you, yes, God comes in and wrecks the chaos around you. He pulls you into your original purpose and restores order and love into your life. He makes you the new creature that you were always meant to be. If I want to be healthier, it's my responsibility to make better life choices. If I want to be spiritually healthy, it's my responsibility to drink living water. And I just want to thank you guys for allowing me to share this and for such an awesome weekend. Let's give it up for Kayla again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You've got to forgive me. I'm a little teary-eyed right now because I'm just so blown away by my friend. 
and my sister. I've known her when she was in her fire tra stage troll <laughs> stage. <laughs> and to see her now, it is, you're glowing. You're glowing. Um, so hi, guys. I'm Summer. <laughs> um, I, I'm here just to share a little bit of uh, my testimony and what I've learned this last year. Not so much just this last year, the last three years. Uh, I feel that um, God has really did a number on me since I've become a member here at this church. So I have some scripture. Um, I'm going to start in Jeremiah, then I'm going to go uh, into some New Testament um, to kind of paint you a picture of what I feel like God has been doing in my life. Jeremiah 18, starting at verse 1. The word, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel." Where I was before I started at the river, I feel like I was a piece of clay on a potter's wheel that tried to dictate what I should be, which is silly to think about. Um, the clay doesn't speak to the potter. The potter makes the clay what it is, but I thought, oh, I know better. And I, um, as Miley Cyrus would say, I was trying to live the best of both worlds. <laughs> but in reality, it was the worst versions of each world. I thought I could have a foot on the world and with my worldly friends and do worldly things. And I could have my foot in the church and do churchy things and, and be of Christ I was trying to tell the potter, I want to be this cup right here. In Romans chapter 9, verse 19, starting in verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? So in that period of my life, pretty much my whole life up until three years ago, I was confused why my life was so chaotic. Why do I have so much anxiousness? Why do I have a hard time having strong, firm relationships? It's because I was trying to be that best of both worlds situation, trying to dictate what my vessel should be for the Lord. And coming to this church wasn't the, the magical fix. It's, it's not that... Um, this church isn't the answer, but it was. It gave me the opportunity to really step into what I was supposed to be in. I was faced with some wonderful, challenging people that, for the first time, challenged me in my life. That's like, I don't, I don't think you're like. What exactly are you doing? <laughs> so, um, I, I gotta say, when I decided to give up the best and to be molded, it has been the best decision ever. Um, um, Second Timothy 
chapter 2, starting verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I finally submitted to the potter and became the bowl I was meant to be the whole time. And though I thought everything I was meant to be was this cup, God wants me to be a bowl. And I am, <laughs> I am living the best version of my life as this bull. I am a strong bull because I'm not out of the shape I was meant to be. I was made for honorable use. And I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's easy in this world like that we live in to try to play both parts, to be a little bit here and the worldly with your worldly friends and, and not when, when you decide to pick a side and to fully commit, that's when so many things open up. So many blessings open up. Um, I don't feel like I am a chaotic mess anymore. I don't feel like I'm splitting apart anymore. Cause I'm, I'm walking in the line that I'm supposed to be. I'm that bull now. So, uh, Short and sweet, that's, that's, the, that's the story I wanted to share today. Um, if you're trying to make yourself a cup, stop it. Just be the bowl. <laughs> Summer did awesome, didn't she? So I'm not really used to the mic. I would much rather have a guitar in my hands. There's absolutely no, no doubt about it. Um, I'm Joanna, in case you don't know me. I think most of you know me. Um, I love listening to the different testimonies because my testimony is so different from what most people normally talk about. Um, I don't have the typical rough background or testimony like a lot of people do. Um, I've known Jesus probably since I was three or four years old, made the choice to serve him. I've been in church my whole life, been a pastor's kid. Um, I should have it all together, right? Never, never, there's never been a time I haven't been in church. Um, which becomes an issue sometimes in and of itself because sometimes I feel like I may not have the same thing to offer people that other people do because I don't, can't relate to a lot of stuff. So what I want to talk about today is in Ephesians, this study that we did, it's really, it's changed my life, honestly, because God spoke to me in it. So I want to read out of Ephesians 4, um, 17 through 24, and we'll focus on verse 23. Um, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way that you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So that word that I wanna talk about is renewed. So if you look that up in the, I believe it's the Greek, one of the um, meanings of it is actually to renovate. 
And one of the things that I love to watch, like anybody else like to watch the DIY stuff where they go in rehab houses? Um, God started speaking to me about that. And I was like, yeah, okay, I, I get that. You know, he wants to take the stuff that we've built up in our lives that he, you know, created for us and we've messed it up and bring it back to what it's supposed to be. So the meaning of renovate is to restore something to a good state of repair. It can also refer to making something new or bringing something back to life. And when he started talking to me about that, it was like I could see this, like I love fireplaces. Anybody else like fireplaces? I know Brandy likes fireplaces. She talked about that. But when you walk in somewhere and you see a beautiful stone fireplace, right? All of those stones have been handpicked the color of them, the shape of them, the size of them. And that's what God intends for our lives. He, he takes each piece of us, designs it specifically for what he wants for us and puts it in place where he wants it. And I was like, okay, I, I see that. You know, and my mind immediately was like, I see, you know, like Kayla. Man, she's, she can teach. God's changing her life. He's renovating her, bringing her back to life, bringing it back to the original tent. And God's like, no, I'm talking to you. And I'm like, okay. All right, what do you mean? And he's like, there's things in your life that God's called you to do that you don't do because of things that you went through growing up. So like one of my big struggles was I w I'm not really what you consider like normal girly girl. Like I'm not all into fashion and all this stuff. I love music. I love sports. I like the outdoors. And the circle that I grew up in, like that wasn't necessarily accepted. Like you were supposed to get married as soon as you graduated high school, have kids, live that life. And for me, that didn't happen. So for a long time, I had these insecurities in me of, well, you're not enough you're not pretty enough, you're not skinny enough, all of these things that come at you. So for me to get up, God could be talking to me and giving me stuff to tell people, and I wouldn't because I didn't think I had anything to offer. So fast forward to 2014, I started traveling with a lady doing praise and worship. I played bass for, we did women's conferences. And time after time, she'd be like, I want you to speak. I want you to give your testimony. I'd be like, no. And the main reason I did that is because I didn't feel like I had anything to offer women. I was in my 40s, not married. I'm not going to give an exact age. In my 40s, not married, didn't have kids. I had a career, but in the realm that I grew up in, that wasn't enough. So I would be like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't want to talk because I have nothing to offer these women. They're married, they have families. What am I gonna say that they haven't already been through? And God's like, I've put something in you. That's one of the stones that I've placed in your fireplace that you've covered up. So when I think about those renovation shows, like I've seen them where they'll come in and you can kind of see where there was a chimney, but all the rest of it is framed out. There might still be a fireplace there, it's still functional, but it's not the way that the original builder intended for it to be. So when we believe those lies, we start covering up all those hand-picked stones that God placed in us for a certain purpose. Summer was talking about it yesterday. She's like, I always felt weird. I don't know why I'm so unique and quirky. That's because God made you that way. Those are the stones that he put in you because something in one of those stones is what somebody else needs to see. 
And like if we were to all look at this fireplace with all these stones, every single one of us would find a stone that stuck out to us. So God puts stuff in us that is specifically, I might have something in me that's for Hannah. I do have something for Rose. But if I cover that up, every time I believe one of those lies of, I don't have anything to offer, I'm not good enough, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? What if I fail? What if I mess up? That's a big one for me. So God started talking to me about that, about all the things that we, we build around that. Um, I wrote down that God takes time to create a unique, one-of-a-kind plan for our life. Like a beautiful stone fireplace, he picks out each piece to his liking and places it where he wants us. He gives us individual talents and gifts, such as teaching, cooking, being a wife, mother, singing, preaching, hospitality, friendship, music, decorating and crafting, which we all know is not my specialty. That is not one of my stones at all. And I can admit that. It's okay. Um, He gives all of those to us, listening to people. Did you know that just listening to someone can be a gift that God's given you? Because there's some people you can talk to them and you're like, yeah, they're not catching any of this. But then you sit down and talk to like Hannah and you know she's listening to every word that you're saying and she's feeling it and she's hearing it. That's a gift. Sometimes we get so caught up on what we think God thinks is an important gift. And if we're not up here talking with a microphone, which I'm not really a big fan of, singing, playing guitar, like those are the gifts. But no, it can just be being a friend to someone. I truly believe God can call you to a friendship. It may only be for a like, season. It may be walk through a hard time with somebody. Or it may be a lifetime, th- fr- lifetime friendship. So that's a gifting. Um, so many times we take the lies of others, which is really the enemy, or even sometimes it's stuff that we come up with in our own mind. Like for me, nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever told me I wasn't enough or nobody ever told me that I don't want to hear what you have to say. That was something I built in my own mind and started framing in that beautiful fireplace. Um, But that renovating, and I see it in work and I love it and it makes me happy, is that as we get into the word of God, he begins to tear down that frame to bring us back to that original, beautiful fireplace that has all these different stones and facets that he wants to use. And as we allow God to change our mind and the more we get in his word, he begins to tear down those lies that we may speak over ourselves or that others speak over us. Because people can be mean sometimes, right? But what we need to remember is that we need to remember the truth that God speaks over us. Um, And I wanted to read um, Galatians 1, 13 through 16. And this is Paul. He said, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I didn't rush out to consult with any human being. When I read that, my mind was just blown. I was like, even Paul had to come to that point where he had to realize that before I was born, God had a purpose for my life. He built me exactly the way that he wanted me. Why? So that I could show Jesus, so that I could teach, so that I could bring other people to him. And I love that. 
Um, and the last one, this is also out of Ephesians. It just says that we are a masterpiece of God. We are his, so it's uh, Ephesians 2.10. says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. So like today, I just want to encourage you guys to think about the truth that God speaks over you. And whatever that is in your life that you've covered up, maybe you paint it over, that you think, ah, I know God told me to say this, but maybe I'll just post it on Facebook instead of going and talking to somebody. What are those things that we're scared and we cover up and we may still function in it, we might be a good cup, but God wants us to be a bowl. What are those things that we need to start tearing down through the word and learning what God has to say about us? So I just wanna encourage you guys today, Think about it. What's in your life that needs to be renovated and changed and let God begin to tear, tear down that. Whatever it is that you're, has been built over in your life that you're scared to do and you feel called to do, get out of that comfort zone. Get a mic. Talk to somebody. Call somebody. Have that conversation and just let God use you. And I love you guys. That was awesome. Wow. (laughs) I love my new name. I don't know if I can live up to it, but I'll try. Um, It's it's so, such a blessing to hear how God is working in each of us. And this weekend just blew me away in more ways than I can even explain, and I'm not going to go into detail or I will cry the whole time and not speak, but um, I love the process that God does in us, and I thank you, Jesus, for your transformational work in every one of us that changes us, and as we sang earlier, we would not want to go back. We love where we're at, and I thank God for the changes because I wouldn't be who I am today. I can guarantee it because of some of the things I worked through, I know I wouldn't be that person. So when Miss Rose asked us to speak on something that was important or impacted us in the last year or so, I'm like, whoa, God's been working on me on a lot of things. And you would think I would maybe not um, be worked on so much still because I've been a Christian since I was 16 and I'm way past that now. (laughs) But um, I love that he has helped me have a teachable spirit and I always want to learn. I always want to hear his voice. I always want to change because of what he's done. So I'm like, Lord, what do I share? And Um, The thing that kept sticking out in my head every time I would think about it was Miss Rose would say, um, Sisterhood Weekend, Sisterhood Weekend, Sisterhood Weekend. And I realized that there was a day I would have run from Sisterhood Weekend because I was afraid. Um, I met the Lord when I was 16 and fell so in love with him. I felt like I'd jump on a off a bridge if he told me to. Um, And so that year I had a move, my family moved from Missouri to Kansas and long story, but 
I felt like I was to go. I was in my senior year, and I could have stayed, but I'm like, no, I'm supposed to go. And I was so new in the Lord, like I said, I'd do whatever he wanted me to do. So we moved to Kansas, and while at this little church that my dad was pastoring, um, there was the cutest little pastor's son that I met and that spring, I graduated from high school, and a month later, I married that pastor's son. And so, a whole new world. I moved to another state, Lincoln, Nebraska, and there was really where God's hand of grace and mercy began to mold me. And in the beginning, I wasn't sure I liked the molding because it didn't feel good. And one of the things that I didn't do so well on was I, I wasn't sure how to handle hurts or even disappointments. I was very much a people pleaser. And so it would crush me if I felt like I had disappointed someone or whatever. And so God had a lot of work to do on me. And so what I began to do, I loved how Joe talked about uh, covering up the um, fireplace and taking it down. Well, I was more of a construction worker. So I didn't know how to handle little things and some things I just misunderstood. I thought I was supposed to be perfect and everyone knows we, that's usually a hard thing to live up to. So I began to build walls. I started building a wall and I built it around my heart because I just felt like that was the safest because I heard about how the family of God was supposed to function and we were uh, to love one another and we were to do this and we were to, to do that. But it felt a little risky to me. Um, I wasn't sure to be vulnerable was worth the risk at the time. And the word vulnerable means... Um, an opportunity to be under attack, uh, susceptible to open censure or criticism. And that just really didn't sound very appealing to me. So I built the walls around. Now, I was going through the motions. I was a pastor's daughter-in-law, and so I was nice to everybody and tried to do, but I kept everyone at arm's length. I was scared, and I just couldn't let people really in. I could let in my family. I could let in certain people, but to really have that freedom to just love, I just didn't know how. But the thing about walls is it can become a prison, and that's exactly what happened. I'd built my own prison. I was so bound up, I was not free. And I lived that way for a lot of years until God began to move in my heart and life. And he did it by different moves that we made. And he, I love how he goes before us. He's behind us. He, he had gone before us. And he had... Um, placed women that would be in my life where he was sending me. And they loved me genuinely. They had the love of God in them. They were not afraid to love. They felt like it was worth the risk. And they just loved me. And that love began to just break down 
all the walls. It just, you know, brick by brick, how I had, I just, it, w- it was becoming worth the risk. And so uh, when I finally let down my guard and asked God to love through me, it was such a big change in my life. I wouldn't want to go back to the way I was because I'm so different. But I still struggled a little bit. I still had times of just feeling like I didn't fit or feeling like, oh, that's just a little scary. But God, again, everywhere I went, there was somebody that genuinely loved me, which leads me to the last, I pray the last move. (laughs) We retired and moved here from Arizona. And so we had come, we figured we would uh, visit different churches and just get a sense of where God would want us to dig in and plant. And uh, so my sister Lori came to the river. And so we're like, oh, well, we'll start there. We'll visit there for a few Sundays or whatever, which is really not a good test. That's bad to do it that way. But we came and we came another Sunday and another Sunday and we're like, are we going to visit any other churches? And we're like, well, not yet. Let's just stay here for a little while. And um, we didn't have to go visit any other churches because what happened here really drew me in because the women of the river know how to love. And so I, I was just so new, leaving all my friends in Arizona that we had, I had lived a lifetime with, it felt like, We raised our kids together. I had opened up to these people, and then I'm leaving them. The exciting thing was I was coming to live by my sister and my brother and my family here, but I was still leaving my kids and everything. And I thought, I don't know if I can find or match what I have there. But, duh, God's love is love, and when it flows through us, it's the same love. And you all embraced me and loved me, and I just felt at home right away. So those walls feel like they're down. I mean, I don't even know where the bricks went. They're just, they're just gone. So I want to say thank you, River Women, for loving me. But the one thing that God kept speaking to me over the weekend was this word, unity. Unity. And when we did our Ephesians class, we talked about unity. And so if you will bear with me, I just want to read a few scripture that really blesses me because I'm like, how do we unify? How do we do that? It's through love. It's through that love. And it starts off with spending the time with the one that loves us the most, It's the one where we get in his presence and he changes us and he revives us and all the things that he desires for us, he does. And when that love flows, it brings unity. So I want to go to, um, of course, the one I love, Psalm 133, one out of the Amplified says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell and sisters to dwell together in unity. 1 Corinthians 1.10, the New Living Translation says, 
I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony, harmony, unity with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And I experienced that in our Ephesians class because we started feeling really bonded in a oneness among us. And I'm like, wow, what, you know, how, how's this happening? And it was through the word that was washing us, our minds were becoming one. So we were, we were seeing God's word and we want to follow him. So it brought this unity and this oneness. Ephesians 4, 3 says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Romans 15, 5, may God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony. That sounds like a tall order, doesn't it? Complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. And that's the key. We follow him. And then there was a scripture that the Lord showed me one time, and I thought, the power of unity. And in this scripture, it's Genesis 11, and it talks about how the people were actually displeasing to God because they were going to build a tower to heaven, and God had other plans for them. Some of them were like, they didn't want to stay on the pottery wheel, but um they decided they would do it their own way. But listen to what the Bible says about unity. In verse 5, I'm going to start with verse 5. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. That always struck me. I'm like, they were being disobedient to the Lord, but God's still talking about how powerful unity is. So he came down and, of course, um, scrambled up the languages. And as we know, they scattered around the earth, which was his, his plan. But that's the power of unity. And I thought, wow, if we in the church are that unified under Jesus Christ, we are in him. He is with us. We are one. And so what we could do for the kingdom of God as God flows through us. John 17, 21 tells us how this happens. I love John 17. Jesus is praying for me. He's praying for you. He prayed for his disciples, but he also prayed for us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. And then verse 23 of that same chapter says, I am in them and you are in me. Jesus talking to the Father. May they experience, experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus loves us as much as he, I mean, the father loves him, us as much as he loves Jesus. Wow. And then um, the last one, uh, Colossians 3, 14. 
Beyond all these things, put on and wrap yourselves in unselfish love, which is the perfect bond of unity. For everything is bound together in agreement with each when each one seeks the best for others. And so I love the fact that Jesus doesn't leave us to do it alone. He's with us. He's in us. He helps us. The love flows through us. That's all I needed to do. I didn't understand when I was so young. All I needed to do was get to know God, to know his ways, to spend time with him and love on him so that his love would just flow through me. That's not very risky at all, really. So in the name of Jesus, I just pray unity and peace and love to our sisters who are loving Jesus more than they've ever loved him before. Thank you. Amen. That was amazing. Thank you, Karen. And so um, I'm going to just kind of wrap it up. And um, I'm kind of conflicted right now. Kind of conflicted right now. <laughs> this is not a good start. It's not the microphone. Wow. Um, I'm kind of conflicted because I don't know what to say. And um, I, I'm just going to go with what I think I'm going to say. And I'm going to talk fast because it's a lot of information. I'm not a preacher. I consider myself a teacher, I guess. So I am more theological. I'm just going to talk because this is not good. All right. Um, so over the last few years, though, God, let me just first say, like, wow, the women here, I'm just so overwhelmed by, like, the growth that I see um, and the, just the willingness. Joe, don't ever say that you don't speak ever again because I have written down here, look at Joe go. Like, like she's been doing it for you know, her whole entire life. So never again, my sister, uh, you will be up here far more than you want to think now. Um, because you do, well, we talked about this, you do have something to offer and wow, that was just amazing. And so, um, but over the last few years, I just feel like the Lord has done a tremendous work in my heart. Um, I have been in the ministry for 18 years. I married DJ whenever I was 21 and he was 24. So I started pastoring at the age of 21. That is ridiculous. No one should ever do that. I don't know what we were thinking. I don't know why anyone would sit under us. We were children, um, children leading people. And so, but I'll have to say like, I never... I just married into it, and I came out of a life that was not the greatest lifestyle, and so um, I grew up in church, though, so I did know the basics, but I never had a, a true love for God's Word, um, but over the last few years, I feel like the Lord has really revealed himself through his scriptures, and I've just come to realize how cool God is, and I don't know how to, else to put that other than God is just so cool, like there's no one like God. He's, su he's super cool. And so I've become convinced, though, over the last few years that God is faithful, and you can trust him. And he is going to complete his promises. Whatever he said he is going to do, he's going to do it. And so you all know my love for scriptures. I've ranted on about it long enough. Um, I believe that everyone should take a biblical appreciation class because the Bible is life to me. Um, and it is, there's nothing else like it. It's a work of art. 
the, the fact, all of the prophecies, everything's been pulled together, it's a miracle. The Bible is a miracle. Um, and so I just want everyone to have that same awe and wonder um, that I come in contact every time I open God's word. And I like to say that God's word is like a big charcuterie board because I like charcuterie. And so um, you mix a little prophecy and a little Psalms in the gospel, and then you get this beautiful flavor that you never would have thought that you would have, kind of like the fig spread. You put it on that goat cheese and you're just like, what the heck? This is amazing. So the Bible says, oh, taste and see, right? So um, let's taste God's word today. So, but when I discovered that um, the Bible was one unified story that was telling one story pointing to Jesus, his redemptive work, I was hooked. Like something just clicked in my head when I realized that. And I have just not been able to get over that so to me, the Bible is like one woven tapestry. Like when you think of a big quilt, like it's got the little squares, but they're all working together to make this one beautiful picture. And so um, have you ever, though, pulled on a thread, like on a blanket or like a sweater, and like you just start picking at it, but then it like unravels like in one thread? Well, that's kind of like the Bible. Um, and today I'm going to try and pull a thread that I noticed in scripture. As I begin to read the Bible over and over again, there are all these threads that run throughout scripture. And if you begin to pull on one of them, you'll find that that thread runs all the way through scripture. And I like to call those Jesus threads. So um, I'm going to pray first because I need God to help me today. And then I'm going to get started. Father, you know that I cannot do this without your help. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would just guide my thoughts, guide my mind. I pray that you would just give us open ears and open hearts as I try to reveal what I think I saw in Scripture and give it to the, your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Jesus threads. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1, um, verse 45. So Luke chapter 1, verse 45 says this, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. So this is our theme verse for the year, ladies. This is the uh, verse that we picked at the beginning of the year. And when we chose this verse, we believed that this year was going to be a year of goodness. We believed that God was turning graves into gardens. And we were convinced that we served a God who is faithful to do what he says he will do. And actually, when I was writing this, I thought about Lisa, just where she's come from in the last couple years and when she, where she is now. Wow. Like God is faithful to do what he says he's going to do. But I think in order to really understand this verse, we should go back and fill in some blanks. So let's answer the who and what of this verse. And I'm a teacher. I'm not a preacher. So I'm going to be teaching at you. I'm sorry if that's not your thing, but you're going to learn something. Um, so the who and the what of this verse, the who is Mary. Mary. And we all know about the birth narrative of Jesus. This is the birth narrative of Jesus. And our verse that we just read is what her cousin Elizabeth has said to her when they saw each other for the first time after they found out they were both pregnant, right? So what is the what? So let's go to Luke 1, 28 through 37, just a few verses up. And the angel appeared to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
So the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive and birth birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. David and Jacob, remember that. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Remember that. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Look, even Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a son in her old age, and she, who was called barren, remember that, in the sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it happen to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. So the what is the pronouncement that she would be the one to give birth to our deliverer, Jesus. But you know what? In order to understand this birth narrative, we have to understand some other birth narratives. So we're going to go back. Just like Marty McFly, we got to go back, Marty. So we're going to go back. Go with me to Genesis 1-1. The very beginning, you all know how the story starts. So we don't have a lot of time, like I said. So this is going to feel like a whirlwind, but hold on. I have to pull on this thread, but I want you to keep in mind birth narratives, okay? So we're talking about birth. So in the beginning, we find God, and what is God doing? He creates. So we have a God who is a God of order and beauty, and we see that he is taking things that are formless and void and speaks, and goodness just happens. I also want us to look that the spirit is hovering over that formless and void place, So Genesis 1, 2, formless and void, think wild and waste, or a barren wilderness. The Hebrew word is tohu vavohu. You'll never forget that. Tohu vavohu, it rhymes. So we have formless and void, barren and waste, wild and waste, desert. So we see days 1 and 3, what does our God do? He creates the spaces. And days four through six, he fills those spaces. That shows us that we have a God of order once again, and he's a God of details. Our God knows every single detail that's going on. There's nothing that he cannot see. So know that he loves you because our God is a God of details. So what we have here is a birth narrative of creation, right? And the narrator shows us that it is good. It is G-O-O-D good. It is so good that he says it seven times. And you all know what seven means, right? wholeness, perfection, shalom. So when you see that number seven in the Bible, your ears should perk up. But what happens after this goodness is here? Genesis 3 happens, the fall, right? So let's read Genesis 3. We're going to read verse 1 and we're going to read verse 6. So verse 1 says this, now the serpent was more crafty. Um, Some of your versions might say subtle, but mine says crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So the serpent came before him. He was crafty. He was subtle. He deceived them. Verse six says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So Adam and Eve, they choose to define good and evil on their own terms. So what they do is they bring that chaos back into their world. So they're living in this shattered world. But there is immediate hope. 
Because in verses 14 and 15, this is what the Lord says. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field on your belly you should go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So he's going to crush your head and you're going to bruise his heel. So immediately we see the hope of a deliverer that's going to come. We know who that deliverer is. So we see this theme of the serpent and this theme of the seed of the woman, which is the savior. So we're going to watch all throughout scripture, this tension between women who are in God's chosen family and their struggle to conceive. And we're supposed to be thinking what's going to happen How is this deliverer going to come? Because God's promise is going to come through that seed. And we even watch Eve's anticipation when she conceives a baby and she thinks, here he is. This is it. She thinks it so much that she names her firstborn child Cain, which sounds like the Hebrew word gotten, because she thought that she had gotten the deliverer, the savior. And boy, was Eve wrong because she had thousands and thousands of years to wait for the fulfillment of that promise. So remember, we're watching the promised seed as we're reading this story. I'm just telling you the story of the Bible, all right? We're just going to watch this promised seed. Next, we see in Genesis 12 and 15 that God promises Abraham that through his seed, a great nation will come and his offspring, offspring will be like the stars in the heaven. But what's the problem? Abraham and his wife, Sarah, are old. They're past the time of conceiving. Then we watch their son and his wife, Isaac and Rebecca, struggle to conceive. Why? An empty and barren womb. Then we watch their son, Jacob, and his wife, Rachel, struggle to conceive. Why? Empty and barren womb. Are you seeing the pattern that God takes empty and barren and chaos and he brings them to life? His promises will not be thwarted. Side note, I want you to also notice that God is using flawed people to bring about his purposes. Because Abraham and Sarah, they don't trust God and they birth Ishmael, which causes a lot of trouble. Isaac and Rebecca, they play favorites with their two sons and pit their sons against each other. Jacob is a big fat liar and a manipulator. And he too plays favorites, which causes big issues with his 12 son. Do you remember Joseph? Yeah. His brothers trafficked him into slavery to Egypt. He was the youngest of 12 sons and he was the favorite. He was the youngest and he was putting authority over the 12 sons, which caused some problems. And he had a lot of dreams and he liked to tell those dreams to his brothers and they didn't like to hear those dreams. So they decided we're going to kill him. That sounds like God's people, doesn't it? That's God's people. All right. So they decide, oh, we're going to kill him. His brother says, no, don't do that. Just throw him in the pit. Because he thought he was going to come back and get him later. But when he left, his brothers trafficked him to some people to slavery in Egypt. So at the end of Joseph's story, because we don't have time, go read it. They end up, the God's, God's people end up in, in Egypt. And they're in slavery under an evil world power, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 13 says this. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. It doesn't mean that he didn't know who he was. It meant like, what's him to me? Like, 
I have nothing with him. We don't have any uh, an agreement. I don't care what he what they did. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread about. That's a whole word. And the Egypt and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So verse 10 says that Pharaoh said, come, let us deal shrewdly with them. That shrewdness language is the same language that is used to describe the serpent in the garden in Genesis. Remember, I told you, keep an eye on the seed and to be watching out for the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. So here we see this theme starting to ramp up. Pharaoh is being presented to us as a type of the serpent. He is the serpent king, if you will. In the book of Psalms, Ezekiel, Isaiah, they also refer to Pharaoh as Leviathan, sea serpent, and dragon. Most of us are familiar with Egypt, right? So, we all recognize the crown that Pharaoh wears around his head. What is the image on that crown that he wears? It's a serpent. And that serpent represents the goddess Wajet. Wajet was considered to be the protector of Pharaoh. So, here we have this subtle, this shrewdness language being presented to us. We have the fact that all of scripture refers to Pharaoh as this serpent, this dragon, this leviathan, and he's wearing a serpent around his head. Here we have a picture of the seed of the serpent in this story. The more the people of God are oppressed, the more they are fruitful and multiply. And Pharaoh just keeps loading it down on them. He won't, and they won't stop growing. So he does the unthinkable. He orders the death of all of the sons born of the Hebrew children. And this is where I want us to slow down because there is a little hidden story at the beginning of Exodus that I want to raise before you. Keeping in mind birth narratives, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, let's look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 15 through 21. It says this, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The Hebrew wives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes. So God dwelt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So we have two midwives, two women, two witnesses, if you will, who are told to snuff out the offspring, remember the seed, the offspring of the Hebrew people. But what do they do? Verse 17 says that they feared God more than they feared man. They stand up to Pharaoh, the serpent, and they say, no, we won't bow. We will make sure the children of God are delivered safely. Because of their obedience, Moses, the deliverer of that nation, was born. 
You know the story. His mother hid him away for a little while, and when she couldn't hide him any longer, he, he was placed in a basket, an ark, and he went through the waters and came safely right to provision. And where did that provision come from? Right from the house of Pharaoh. So what Pharaoh attempted to kill, he ended up giving life to. You can't stop God's purposes. Which brings us back to our original birth narrative. But let's go to Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. And I've almost wrapped up the story. I've talked really fast. I don't want to hold you guys any longer than I have to. It says this, when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Huh, another dreaming Joseph. What about that? Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother by night and withdrew to Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod saw that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was filled with rage, sending orders he put to death all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, according to the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So now we have another serpent king. But this time, this king comes from God's own people. We learn in scripture that God's own people had gotten so hard-hearted, they rejected him. King Herod is actively trying to stop the seed of the woman, the deliverer. But we see again that God's plans won't be stopped. And look where they go for safety, Egypt. So here we have Mary and Joseph, two witnesses, two midwives, if you will, who once again say, no, we will make sure the children of God are delivered safely. So how does Luke chapter one, verse 45 fit into all of this mess that I've tried to pull together for you? Well, this is the story, the one that I just told you that Elizabeth and Mary had in their imagination. They knew the story of their people. They knew about the seed that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and David, even Eve. Mary sings in Luke chapter 1, 54 through 55 this, he has, pro he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful as he promised to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Mary knew that this was much bigger than her. This was about the birth of a seed, the promised seed, the snake crusher being born, Jesus, the seed of the woman. So let's not miss what's happening here in the birth narrative of Jesus because this is new creation happening. This is a fulfillment. We have a man. We have a woman. We have an empty, barren, waste, wilderness womb. We have where the Holy Spirit is hovering, just like in Genesis 1 and 2. Luke 1.35 says, the Holy, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. But where Eve said, let it be done according to my word, Mary said, let it be done according to thy word. She was the fulfillment. What Eve did not do, Mary did. That's amazing, y'all. Jamie, will you come up? 
So God partnered with a young girl to deliver you and me. Mary said, yes, I will partner with you, God, and make sure the children of God are delivered safely. Because of Mary's yes, we were delivered safely. The, the promised seed came, Jesus came. The takeaway here is not that we should be like Mary. It should cause immediate worship to a most holy God who sent his son, the promised seed. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Nothing can keep God from his promises. Not a serpent, not an empty womb, a world power, or even ourselves. Look at the links that God goes through to partner with us and to be faithful to us. Let us be a people who know that God is a God who keeps his covenant. Today, you may be living in chaos. Well, this is your new creation moment because the Holy Spirit is hovering right now and he wants to enter your world and bring shalom and peace where you've let shattered chaos, trouble enter your own world. He is the Prince of Peace. Stand to your feet today. I hope that big long story brought hope and wonder to you because that's what the whole Bible is about is about the promised seed and that God keeps his promises and nothing can keep him from it. Father, I just thank you so much for what you're doing in this, in this time, in the church, in the lives of your people. I thank you for the women that came and spoke your word, that spoke hope. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for being a covenant-keeping God when we are not. Thank you that you draw us to you. Thank you that we are unified with you, that you and we are one. And you love us just like you love Jesus, because when you see us, you only see him. You only see the blood. said today maybe your life is full of chaos and disorder but we serve a God who is a God of order I'm going to ask Brandy I'm going to ask Summer Karen if you guys will just stand in front Lori can we just stand in front here and turn towards the people we're just going to sing but maybe you have some chaos going on in your life and if you do and you want prayer, we have these four women up here who will pray with you privately. And they're going to speak Jesus into your situation today. So as Jamie begins to sing, if there's anything that you need prayer for, any chaos situation, just come forward. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.